0: Now, um, like I said, we have a God who is interested in relationship with each one of us. And that is the theme that I'm going to present this morning as I talk about, on the screen, God's law. Hey, who's excited about God's law? Well, it's one of those things, isn't it? Law is a word that just causes a reaction in each one of us, doesn't it? I mean, if I say to you, you broke the law, it's there you go, we've already got three people leaving. (laughs) (laughs) We have a reaction in us because it tends to bring about those ideas of limiting, uh, of confining, of restricting the human spirit, the human will especially. And so um, that's the connotations that come with law, however, I want to frame it in, in the context of relationship this morning. So let's pray as we get started. Thank you, Father, for this ancient text. We thank you, Lord, that you reached from heaven to earth in order that you might have relationship with us. And so, God, shine your light this morning upon this word into our hearts that we might know truth, that we might know you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So just a quick recap on what we've got to so far in part one and part two is this. We start off with the question, how is one to live in this life? By what principles do you live? And for what reason do you live? Uh, Do you live by those principles? So for example, we might say, yes, we'll live a good life. Be generous or be kind or try not to annoy people. Um, you know, Live like that. But why should you live like that? Because it's not always easy to live like that. In fact much easier to live for yourself and to please yourself with, with your life. And so why would you live any particular way? And what defines good or evil? That's what we term morality. How do you define what's good? Um, when one person says, this is good for me, that's good for you. Uh, is there anything that's objective, that's bigger than just my own uh, perspective there? How do I know if I'm living according to God's will? for a Christian how do I know that what are the rules of the game it's kind of like playing imagine uh you know you throw out the you throw out the rule book and you just get on the field and you run around and there's no goal post and there's the the umpire is sitting there just, he's not blowing his whistle he's just going keep it up you know good work and the coach at halftime says you know you guys are doing so well and you know it's really fantastic what you're doing and keep up the good work and and yeah, there's no goal, there's no objective. It's no like, what are the rules of this thing? And um, and so, the, you know, what are the rules of the game that we're game of life, perhaps, that we're playing? Well, the risk is, as Pentecostals, <laughs> Charismatics, those who maybe um, uh, are in our circles, if we throw out the law, we might we might use words like this. Uh, but if we throw out the law of God, we are If we're living pleasing to God or not. So that's the risk. And so what, I wanted, what I've what i been digging into personally is about this subject, what to do with the law. It takes up uh, something like 10% of the pages in your Bible is the law. And so do we chuck that out? Or what do we do with it? Well, we also said this, that the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual, and it's an expression of who God is. And it's the means in which he subsists. He has his being in that um, expression. The law of God, we also found, is deeper and richer than we might have first thought. You see uh, Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount um, <clears throat> expounded six different laws and he confronted the the uh, people of the day with what they thought they were okay by and basically showed them they're not okay. He said, you have heard it said, if anyone commits murder, he is guilty of sin. But I tell you, anyone who hates his brother has committed murder in his heart. And so where um, we where the Israelites let's put in their perspective where the Israelites had thought that the the letter was simply the thing that needed to be obeyed Jesus said no the law is far higher than that it's far more r- r- powerful in its reach it reaches into your heart and it requires obedience in the inner places and so the, the law is um, deep and rich and it requires inner obedience to the spirit of of the law, not just outward obedience to the letter of the law. You know, uh, we have a way of approaching law in our society today that, that, that is this, um, how much can I get away with and still be within the law? And we have this way of p- picking the letters of the law, you know, the letter of the law so that we're okay there. But the law of God is bigger than that. Has a spirit behind it and a voice that speaks. Um, And the other thing that we learned was that where the law forbids one thing, it requires us to do the opposite. So if the law says, do not murder, the implicit obligation on each one of us is to protect life. Where the law says, in the Bible that says if you've got a top story on your house you need to put a fence around the top story. Put, put a handrail because if your neighbor's up there one day and he falls off, I don't know what he'd be doing at your place on the roof anyway without you knowing, but if he falls off, you're guilty of manslaughter. So there's an obligation therefore, not just to not murder, but to protect life. And so um, that's actually come through in in uh, one of the catechism documents in like, around the 90s, of, um, the catechism documents around point 90, is that where the law requires one thing, uh, oh, oh, sorry, oh, yeah, where the law requires one thing, it forbids the opposite, and where the law forbids one thing, it requires the opposite. So there is uh, much more to the law than we might, might think. So in the last two weeks since being up here last, um, I've been studying. I've had a coffee with Ian Pennycook and uh, got his down low on the law. I've read a I partly read a book by a um, smart dead guy, and, um, and I've listened extensively to people speak on this subject, and even uh, the, the podcast that Denise put me on to called The Bible Project, they started a series on the law, which is really helpful to me. So some of what I'm sharing this morning comes from that. So, here we are. The Torah is what we... Who knows what the Torah is? Have you heard the Torah? It's the Hebrew word that means the first five books of the Bible. The word means instruction. We, we might call it the law books, but the word actually means instruction or wisdom. Okay, so um, that's, that's an interesting thing. It doesn't mean the law. The law actually, there's no direct translation for the word law. It's just instruction, wisdom. There's actually a book written by another smart, alive guy, um, called Wisdom Laws, and it was actually a game changer about 15, 20 years ago uh, in this area. Now, in the Hebrew, this is an interesting fact, in the Hebrew, each letter has a numerical value, and when you put those together, when you put letters of a word together, lost another one, um, <clears throat> you get a numeric value. Now, the numeric value for the word Torah, is anybody... Can you, anybody guess what the numerical value is? It's not 66, that's the devil's number. Out of his number. Um, that's his first and middle name, not his last one. Um, is the numerical value of 611. Now guess how many laws you shalls or you shall nots there are in the writings of Moses. 611. Beautiful, amazing. So there is something like um, 365 you-shall-nots, one for every day of the year, and the remainder are you-shalls. And the the, uh, Talmud, which is the writings of the um, Jewish uh, rabbis, discussed about how many laws there are. Are there 611, 613? The actual agreed number is 613 because it includes some implicit commands at each end of the law, which is things like this. Hero, the, the law starts off with this Hero Israel, the Lord thy God is one. And so there's an implicit to believe that God is is and that He is one. And so um, uh, they 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 said that there's six hundred and thirteen laws of the Ten of the, uh, of the Laws of Moses. Now, Moses went up the mountain a few different times. The first time he got the he got the Ten Commandments, the next time he was given The 42 laws that go with that, and then Israel, that was read to Israel, and they said, "Everything that you've said, we'll do, and we commit ourselves to it." And then after that, you see, they had to, you know, there was more laws given, a total of 611 or 613, whichever way you look at it, which included the, you know, the ceremonial laws, and the laws around um, uh, the, you know, where they lived. Now, the law actually contains duplicates. So here's a problem. It says that uh, the law, you know, several different times, it might say the same command. There's also some inconsistencies in the law. Once Moses said, you shall not boil the sacrifice. And at the end of his life, he said, boil the sacrifice. Okay, so there's some inconsistencies in there. Um, There is another problem, and that is, is that a third of the laws actually apply to the temple. Twice in Israel's history, they lost their temple. It got destroyed. So how do you fulfill the law when there is no temple? And now there is no temple, so how do we fulfill the law? Um, uh, (coughs) There is actually only 263 laws that are observable today. And 26 of those apply to living in Israel. So we're kind of stuffed if we're trying to fulfill the letter of the law. So I also learned this week that the Torah is not a law code in itself. It's not a law code in itself. So what I mean by that is it's not comprehensive and structured as a document that we would find in our law books today. It's not um, full of statutes that, that are enough for people to know all of the rules for life. That's interesting. So it's not structured as a law code. Um, it's actually uh, uh, the terms which fit inside a bigger thing. The bigger thing is the relationship covenant that God had created between Himself and Israel. Okay, so what I mean by that is this: in uh, in uh, Exodus chapter nineteen, which is this the start of the giving of the law, it says this in verse 4. So this is Verse 3 it says, Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words to speak to the Israelites. So here is God saying, You belong to me, my people. You are my people and I have carried you on eagles' wings. I have set you apart from other nations. And now I'm creating for you a a way to live, a way that will define the terms of our relationship agreement. Now, if you look at, um, if you think about it in that way, it's like the agreement between two parties that will facilitate their relationship. Now, this happens all the time today. Who here has a mobile phone? You've signed a contract which details... The terms of your arrangement with the phone provider now that that is not the law the document that you signed it's not the law it is the terms of your relationship they agree to this and you agree to that it is held under the overarching covering of trade law and consumer uh, uh, law in Australia okay so, There is a bigger thing than the phone contract. It's not the law. It's a document that Optus or Telstra has created that two parties come together on, but held under the overarching covering of the law. If you've ever gone and got your car repaired, and I've had to do that too many times in the last month, um, then you will have an agreement with the repairer to say you'll do this work to a certain quality and I'll pay you the money that you've requested and there will be a, a guarantee of the quality of the workmanship. And so that, that's not the law. Again, it's the terms of the of the relationship held under the consumer protections. That is law. So there is a higher authority than the law. There is a higher authority than the Torah. And that higher authority is actually the relationship itself. So God who created us for relationship comes to us in relationship and says, you are mine, and now here's the terms of what is going to work in our relationship. Now, you may have done this informally with your marriage partner. When you come to your relationship, there might be roles and responsibilities. There might be things with your kids that you've said, if if this is going to work, this is what needs to happen. And there is a, an agreement between the, the parties of the relationship that this is how we, we can relate. And if you look at that, those terms, it actually sheds light on, on the character of the marriage, of or, or the parties in the marriage. It re- reflects the character of the parenting and the qualities and the generosity of the parenting. Or, uh, you know, in that um, parent-child relationship too. And so it is with the law of God that it reveals the character of God. It reveals the qualities and the generosity of our God. it also gives us an insight into the fact that he knows how we've been created. And he's, he knows the best way that we're going to be able to relate to one another and to him. And so this is the, the thing that's been to, given to us in the law. Now, um, it's interesting, you see, when, you, when, when we think about the, the Ten Commandments that were given and the subsequent laws under Moses, that was given around 3,500 years ago. Now, if you can think what it was like, or if you were around at the time, 50 years ago, the laws of Australia were quite different. I mean, I, I was a kid when um, shops didn't open on Sundays. You know, there was t- that stuff didn't happen. Um, uh, someone else was telling me something, you know, crazy and that. Um, we would think now, how do you do life when you can't go to Aldi on Sunday? Like, that's just, that's a disaster. But um, imagine three and a half thousand years ago. And imagine to people who aren't um, westernized, they're easternized, <laughs> That's different again, and can you imagine uh, in their you know in the culture that, that that comes with it, and even their way of um, kind of uh, perceiving the law, and I, I, that's probably what I'll, I'll I'll speak about shortly. But the the whole thing is is that we've got to understand. Actually, there is a great um, uh, scripture from um, Paul in Romans chapter nine, and he. he He's he's grieving his brothers, um, the Jews. He says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 2. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption as sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenant, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. So Paul is saying, they were given the law, they were given the prophets, they were given the commandments, they were given the patriarchs, and in a sense, he's recognizing that that's even 1,500 years before his time. And so that's a... An interesting thing to keep in mind was that the Ten Commandments and the subsequent laws were given not to us, but to a different group of people in a different time period, in a different culture. Now we get to look at those laws written uh, you know, written down now with our own mindset and our own lenses, which we view the world through, and the the document can seem sometimes like Archaic, brutal, unfair, etc., etc., etc. Yet we've got to remember that it was written to them in their culture a long time ago. Now, does that mean that um, we should take the, that type of view when it comes to do not murder, do not commit adultery, you know, honour your parents? Well, no, I don't just want to relegate that to. Oh, that was for them and their their time, but it is interesting to take a few things uh, uh, note to a few things. So, in their society and in our society, um, I want to point out a couple of differences on the approach to law. See, we live in uh, what we would call a statutory or a civil law society. They lived in what was called a common law society. Now. Um, Next week we're going to the Philippines and the way they approach law there is even different to the way we approach law here. It's dramatically different. I've got a couple of pickies that point that out. But in common law, what is important here is, what is important to the development of social norms is customs and intuition. We kind of know what's right and we've also... We, we know the way we do things that's custom now we don't have it, when we've got when you go from a, a, a homogeneous group of people you know just a, a few people to many many people with many different influences and and that we kind of have differences of opinion that are too big to overlook and so we have in Australia a government by Or institution is higher than that law. Law. In uh, that's not so though for um, for the people in the ancient Near East, the law in common society, in common law society, is an expression of higher moral principles. And so, what um, what uh, it's that that statement's alluding to is the fact that. Uh, even um, the laws themselves, like I said, were inconsistently inc- inconsistently applied in different circumstances, because the outcome or the the you know there was the law itself, but there's a principle behind the law that the law is actually pointing to. That's the ach- thing we're trying to achieve, and so that's that's actually what's more important is the, the principle behind the law, whereas um, in Australia. The law is the boss. It's the ultimate kind of authority there. And we will pick it apart. And that's what lawyers and um, yeah, barristers and that do with our is They get the document. They read it. And they say, this is what it means. This is what it allows. This is what it disallows. Okay, But um, uh, the, the other culture is, well there's a principle that we kind of all know in our hearts. And that's the, what we're ha- Aiming for so, do you see? There's a real different in approach to law here. And finally, um, common law society: the laws are communicated through stories. Now, um, if you don't have, uh, uh, you know, a website with your laws published, and you don't have the laws printed for people to read, and if you can't read anyway, <laughs> you know, you've got to communicate law through story. And so actually the first five books of the Bible is actually a lot of story. It's not necessarily um, that you're supposed to do it all. It's that you can see others doing it and what worked and what didn't work and illustrating the wisdom of God in, in the midst of that. You hear you hear what's going on there? So, um, we have, uh, though, our law is communicated through written codes of statutes. You can look up our Australian law. Everyone has access to it. As long as you can read, you know. As long as you know where to look, the law is written, and it's a it's a statutory law. So interesting, I found that interesting to uh, come from that understanding that the law that was given to Israel, it was given to a society that doesn't view law the way we do. It's totally different. Um, <clears throat> uh, interesting that uh, in the as society has, you know. Evolved, I suppose, and went from uh, stories and um, you know uh, the, the the way we do things type of culture where it had to be written down. There were stories that were created that um, that illustrate truth. Now, there is in in uh, in Germany there was the the Brothers Grimm. Has anybody heard of the Brothers Grimm? So the Brothers Grimm were actually people, who, you know, two brothers who. Gathered truth from our um, fables and our um, not fairy tales, but what are they called? You know, um, fairy tales, and put and drew from that concepts that we hold as our values. And so, if you look at you know stories like Cinderella or Hansel and Gretel, okay, they they're like parables, aren't they? They they're not. They're based on they're a moral tale, they're a moral story. And it illustrates for us truth. And they're the things, interestingly enough, you read to your kids, you know, at night time, so that they might know what you know, what is right and what is true and what is wise and what is foolish. And so um, that has sorry. And scary. Now this is Congo's approach to traffic law my favourite pictures, we've got that in Congo. Now, the guy that I really am impressed by is the guy right at the top there who's on Facebook. He's at the top of the stack and he's on Facebook. um, The law would just have a field day in Australia with that. But um, there's police there watching them go because their approach to law is different to our approach to law. We would say, throw the book at that car, the driver, everyone who's doing everything illegal there, right? But all they're trying to do is get from one place to another with a whole bunch of stuff. So let them go, you know? (laughs) The wheels are pointing all different directions, too. Now, I like this rule from the zoo. Those who throw objects at the crocodiles and snakes will be asked to retrieve them. There's an approach to law in the zoo. And the other one that I thought was interesting, Thou Shalt Not Try Me, from Mum 24 7. All right, I will black screen that. Um. Now, the, I, I referred to the fact that um, the law was given 3,500 years ago to people that were of a whole different culture to us. Now, the problem of writing things down is interesting. Um, You see, the problem of writing things down is this. The the Jews wouldn't even say the name of God, would they? They, the, The name of God was a holy name. And to say it was to defile it, really, because you're not saying it properly. It's kind of like asking you to say my last name. You know, um, even I don't say my last name properly to a German. It's Hessenberger, not Hessenberger. Right? It's it, it's when you say it, you you say you know you depict less than you kind of do it a disservice. And so it was viewed with the name of God. And so when you write down something, it's kind of like even that, even writing down the law is probably not doing the law justice because there is a a whole lot more to that law, a whole bigger principle that it's trying to put words on. But words aren't sufficient because we're describing something that's part of God's nature and God's character itself. Now, if I come here and took a photo of Paul, for example, um, and I've got a photo of Paul and here it is and everybody can see it and that's that's Paul, isn't it? But it's not Paul. There's a whole lot more to Paul than what that photo is. And do you see that the law is also falls short and is deficient in showing us the richness of who God is. And the, the, you know, you understand what I'm trying to say here. So it, that's why the, we can't pin down the law the way we would like to. That's why there's inconsistencies. And that's why it's applied differently in different circumstances. And that's why they, you know, they roasted at one time and boiled at the other because there's a bigger thing going on. And if we've got our ducks lined up like we'd like to in Australia and we pinned it down, we would be much more legalistic in our approach. But God almost makes it impossible... To follow the law to the letter because there's no temple anymore. We're not in Israel anymore. There's no ceremony anymore. So do you get what I'm saying? There is a spirit behind the law that we are to um, seek. There's a voice behind the law that, um, you know, Abraham obeyed God. And it was credited. Abraham believed God. It was credited to him as righteousness. Um <clears throat> Okay, so this, this, here is I'd like to read this quote. I'm running out of time, but I'd really like to read this quote from um, this wise, alive guy who wrote the book called Wisdom Laws. It says this: all of these law codes are part of a wisdom tradition, a moral wisdom education. The Hebrew Bible strongly suggests that the earliest forms of disputes were resolved by intuitions of justice, against a background of custom rather than appeal to formulated rules. The biblical sources which talk about the establishment of the judicial system in Israel gives no indication that judges were to use written sources. Rather, judges were urged to avoid partiality and corruption and do justice. So do you understand that that, that judges themselves weren't told, told you, know, you need to be a law expert. They were, they were to be, avoid corruption they were to do justice, they were to be upstanding and moral people. Now, if you contrast that to people in our society who are allowed to be judges, that, that's a vast contrast. We can have judges who their personal life isn't up to moral excellence because they're not there to preach themselves, they're there to refer to the law, the written statutes, and determine what the law is trying to say. Okay, So there's a real difference in approach there. Yeah, um, Another thing that goes on to talk about is um, Solomon's judgment. Remember Solomon when presented his first judgment there in 1 Kings 3. It's a story of two women who don't know whose baby's who. Now that's a challenge but he's presented as an example of this process of justice. He doesn't consult a rule book to figure out how to resolve the dispute. There isn't and and so what he does is knowing women, knowing people, knowing humans, and knowing God. He he brings an excellent um, approach to divine justice. Okay, so um, got to got to get to the end. Got to get to the end. So uh, there's a couple of outcomes that I'd like like us to see from my study this week. The law isn't required. For salvation. Hallelujah. But it does define sin. It does define sin. Obedience to the law doesn't give you righteousness before God. But it contains the principles for righteous living. Strictly following the letter of the law doesn't give you relationship with God. But fearing and following the voice is what gave Moses and Abraham their right-standing relationship with God. There's a couple of big punch items that stood out to me this week. The law isn't required for salvation because it's not to the letter that we're trying to please. It's not uh, in end in itself to follow the letter of the law. So finally, I, I, um, I'd like to show us this passage from James chapter 1, verse 25. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty are fascinated by and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. If someone believes that they have a relationship with God but fails to guard his words, then his heart is drifting away and his religion is shallow and empty. So here we have um, James's... Uh, approach to the law let 's pray, Father, I thank you for um, for shining your light upon your word. Help us, Father, to recognize that we aren 't here to to follow the black and white text we 're here to follow the voice we 're here to live in context of relationship with God. I thank you, Father, that we're no longer slaves to a fearful mountain that smokes and a voice comes out and it's scary. But we're here to live out the, the will of God in and through us by the power of your Spirit. And so God, I'd ask you that this week as we'd approach our life, that we'd give ear to what you're saying, that we'd recognize that you've made us for relationship, And that we'd avoid the things that defile our relationship. That we'd pursue the things that strengthen it. Help us, Lord, to be strengthened in our moral foundation in order that we might shine the light of the gospel, the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I ask a blessing upon each family here today. I thank you for each one. Pray, Lord, over um, those travelling to the Philippines this week for just a wonderful time, uh, partly of rest, partly of of, of relationship. Pray, Father, for uh, for those who are needing health, needing encouragement, needing to know where they fit. Pray, God, that you would be real to each one this week. And we bring to you, Lord, this morning our uh, our challenges which we don't know how to solve we don't know how to fix whether it's with family members or work situations God we're just reminded that you know that you're ultimately wise that you know how we ought to position ourselves in those relationships thank you Father that we, we don't have a relationship with a book or a relationship with its author Thank you that we don't, we're not under this law that leads to death, but we're under the law that leads to freedom. So God, build us in our understanding, I pray this way. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Sorry, sorry it's getting late. Well, um, we had a lot on this week. I've been studying hard for you guys, and I hope you appreciate the fact that I'm digging into it. Because I'm turning up at the Pentecostal conference and say, I'm going to preach on.